Hey everyone, welcome to this week's conversation with Dr. Stephen Ned about the body and how to fix, protect, or maintain it using outside-the-box alternative solutions. If you're a big fan of the pharmaceutical or surgical approach, you are so in the wrong place because on this podcast, we're not going to be pushing the conventional medicine methods or way of thinking about health. If you're looking for another way to live longer and healthier, join me, Ron Ned, and my brother, Dr. Stephen Ned, for this week's body chat about designer and synthetic drugs. Me? I'm a retired Twin Cities chiropractor currently helping people buy and sell homes in the Tampa Bay and Los Angeles areas. My brother has a thriving chiropractic practice in the Clearwater area of Tampa Bay, Florida. In this podcast, we're going to chat about all sorts of topics related to health, nutrition, exercise, just about everything having to do with the body. You're invited to listen in to our body chat, but don't forget that neither of us is giving you health advice, so don't rush off to do something without either checking with your doctor first or seeing Dr. Steve Annette as a patient at his office. Good afternoon, Steve. Good afternoon and Happy New Year, Ron. Happy New Year. We're going to be wrapping up this week and next week on our street drug series of episodes. And this week, we're going to be talking about drugs that a lot of people who came around during the 50s and 60s and 70s don't know as well. And these are street drugs that are known as synthetic or designer drugs. So to give them an idea of what we're going to be talking about, what are some examples of these and why is it called that? All right, let's start out by defining what a synthetic drug is. Okay. So a synthetic drug is a drug that's created using man-made chemicals instead of naturally occurring ingredients. Uh, A good example of the difference between natural and synthetic drugs is the opioids, which we covered in podcast episode number 102. Mm -hmm. So if you recall, the opioids were broken down into three different categories. The natural opioids, which come directly from the opium poppy plant, and these are also known as opiates, include opium, morphine, codeine, and heroin. The semi-synthetic opioids, which are the prescription painkillers, including hydrocodone, also known as Vicodin, and the various forms of oxycodone, which include Oxycontin, Percodan, and Percocet. And then we have the synthetic opioids, which include methadone and fentanyl. Okay. So, you know, on previous podcasts in this series on recreational drugs, we've covered other synthetic drugs, including LSD. And then the next podcast, we'll cover additional synthetics, including ecstasy and crystal meth. But in this one, we're going to focus on a specific type or subcategory of synthetic drugs known as designer drugs. Right. And a designer drug is a synthetic version of an illegal drug that's been intentionally altered just slightly to keep it from being classified as an illegal drug. This slight alteration allows it to keep many of the original drug's typical drug effects. So what happens is a chemist uh, takes a drug and alters it in a lab, creating a new drug that can actually be sold legally on the internet or in stores. Oh, how nice. I know. So you're probably wondering, how could they possibly get away with this? Well, you know, there's two answers for this. So number one, designer drugs are marketed in ways that hide the true reason for their existence which is, you know, the distribution of a psychoactive and or stimulant substance for abuse. So manufacturers and distributors of them mask their intended purpose and avoid health and safety rules by selling some of them as herbal smoking blends, while others are disguised as products that are labeled as not for human consumption 
And this circumvents application of the Controlled Substance Analog Enforcement Act. And these include herbal incense, research chemicals, plant food, glass cleaner, jewelry cleaner, and the notorious bath salts. Now, the other answer to how this is being pulled off is the fact that law enforcement has a difficult time keeping up with the expanding new alterations of these designer drugs. So, for example, between 2009 and 2014, there were 200 to 300 new designer drugs identified in the United States, most of which were manufactured in China. And then the other problem with this is that some contain chemicals that still haven't been completely identified, which also means that there are no drug tests to check for these, you know, like you would see in a drug panel test for employment. Okay. So that gives us an idea of that. Now, when were the first designer drugs introduced? All right. Well, there's actually two categories. There's pharmaceutical and recreational designer drugs. So we'll start with pharmaceutical designer drugs that, you know, they've been around for a long time. Mm. And there are modified versions of the original legal drug that are very similar, but not identical. So they have very similar physical or chemical structures as well as pharmacological effects. And the reasoning for pharmaceutical companies to produce these is to create drugs that are safer, more effective, or more readily available to the mass public. So these were the original designer drugs. However, starting in the 1980s, the term designer drug took on a new meaning as it then became associated with the illegal drug market when authorities in the United States became concerned about the use of synthetic opioids in particular, uh, such as fentanyl and heroin mixed with fentanyl. Uh, the non-pharmaceutical synthetic fentanyl first appeared on the streets in California in 1979 under the name China White. And it's now a big part of the opioid crisis that we went over in detail again in podcast episode number 102. Okay. So what is the big attraction for these kind of drugs and which ones are the most popular ones at this point? Well, like I just said, people are able to purchase these legally, and if there are no toxicology tests for them, then they can use them without fear of being caught. Uh, obviously, the same mentality goes for the manufacturers and dealers who are able to make money without breaking the law. So let's look at the most common ones then. Okay. Let's start with synthetic marijuana, also known as spice or K2. Now, the thing about this drug is it's nothing like marijuana. It's actually a mixture of herbs and spices that are sprayed with unknown toxic chemicals that are intended to produce the same effect as THC, which is the mind-altering chemical found in marijuana. It has the appearance of dried leaves, you know, and it's often sold in small silvery plastic bags as herbal incense or potpourri. It's also advertised in liquid form for use with uh, vaping devices. And in addition, it's often smoked in rolled joints, pipes, or e-cigarettes, or it can be made into a tea or used in brownie recipes. Uh, spice and K2 are also often falsely advertised as safe, natural, and legal highs, but they're technically not legal and are definitely not natural or safe. Okay. So next up is bath salts. And these are not bath salts that you use in a tub. Yeah, I think that's what most people think of when they hear that. Exactly. But they're rather, you know, toxic drugs with very unpredictable effects. Now, they don't refer to any single drug. 
but instead, uh, there are a group of similar substances which are chemically made versions of a type of drug found in the cat plant, K-H-A-T, which is an evergreen shrub native to East Africa and Southern Arabia. Bath salts are referred to as synthetic stimulants and also have hallucinogenic properties like that of LSD. Mm. So they're usually sold in powdered form in small plastic or foil packages. Uh, they may also be found in capsules or tablets or in small jars in liquid form. Uh, they're typically snorted or injected, or they can be mixed with food or drinks. They're also often swallowed wrapped in cigarette paper, and this is called bombing. And they can also be inserted rectally or inhaled using a vaporizer or smoked. So there's quite a few ways you can uh, ingest this stuff. Oh, yeah. None of them I recommend. And it's pretty nasty, too, because naming it bath salts makes a lot of people think, oh, it's like, what's the big deal about it? Right. Very misleading. It sounds benign, you know? Mm -hmm. So many of the substances in bath salts have been banned in the United States because of their harmful effects. But dealers use the name bath salts and other names to get around the law, including plant food, jewelry cleaner, glass cleaner, phone screen cleaner. And also label it not for human consumption. And then now we come to NBOM, also known as SMILES. And this is a powerful synthetic hallucinogenic drug similar to LSD or mescaline, which comes from the peyote cactus plant. There's uh, several variations of this drug, but 251-NBOME, which is often shortened to 251, is the most abused and potent form. Uh, effects of just a tiny amount of this drug can last for up to 12 hours or even longer. And an average to high dose of this drug is 750 micrograms, which is about the size of six small grains of regular table salt. Wow. I know. So this tiny dose creates a hallucinogenic effect similar to LSD, but the negative effects and after effects of it are far worse than that of LSD and and really? We went over that, and those are pretty horrid. Absolutely. Yeah. It also mimics the effects of methamphetamines like crystal meth. Now, NBOM is available in liquid or powdered form or soaked on blotter paper, just like LSD is. Uh, since it has a strong, bitter, metallic taste, mint or fruit flavoring is often added to the liquid and blotter choices. And because it creates no effect if it's swallowed, it's placed under the tongue for absorption. It can also be injected, smoked, uh, breathed in through the nose, uh, vaporized and inhaled, or inserted rectally. This drug is very, very dangerous, no matter how it's used, because of its extreme potency. You know, only a few tiny grains produce effects. So it's very easy to overdose and can be deadly. Uh, just to give you an idea of how toxic this stuff is, just to handle it, you need a filter mask, gloves, and glasses. It's on the same order of toxicity as street fentanyl. So, you know, it poses a huge problem for law enforcement officers who can end up getting a fatal overdose from it simply by not wearing protective gear when they collect drug evidence from a suspect. Wow. Yeah, you know, at least with fentanyl, they can be saved by a nasal spray mist of Narcan or Naloxone. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm not aware of a remedy for an N-bomb overdose. Wow. Yeah. 
And then finally, we come to FLACA, also known as alpha PVP or gravel. This is another dangerous drug that's similar to bath salts. Uh, it can cause paranoia and hallucinations that may lead to violent aggression and self-injury. Uh, it's found in a crystal form, typically white or pink in color. Uh, it can be eaten, snorted, injected, or vaporized in e-cigarettes. And it can also result in overdose and death. Wow. I had no idea these things were around like this. Yeah, and before this week, I didn't either. Wow. All right. Now, what are the main physical and emotional or mental effects that these drugs cause? Well, I think I'll just summarize these, you know, but for the complete list of each of these designer drugs, you can find them on the Foundation for Drug-Free World website, and we can leave a link to the page that contains uh, the Truth About Synthetic Drugs online course that you can take for free. Okay. So short-term effects on the body include nausea and vomiting, excessive sweating, muscle spasms, seizures, and heart attacks. And again, this is a real short list. Uh, you know, these are common to all the designer drugs, but each okay. one has many other short-term effects on the body. Uh, for example, bath salts can result in brainstem herniation, which is an increase in pressure inside the skull at the base of the brain, and this can be deadly. Wow. Yeah. Now, long-term effects on the body that are common to all the designer drugs include liver damage, kidney damage and failure, increased blood pressure and pulse, and death. People that have used K2 or spice long-term have also experienced paralysis. Now, short-term effects on the mind include confusion, hallucinations, insomnia, panic attacks, paranoia, psychosis, suicidal thoughts and suicide, and violent behavior, including homicide. Long-term effects on the mind include persistent and severe anxiety and depression that can last for months or years, forgetfulness, and brain swelling and brain death. Wow. Yeah. No, those are not minor side effects. No, they're not. Now, where are they most commonly used and why are they used? Well, you know, I don't, I don't have an answer to where they're commonly used, but why they're used, again, goes back to having access to altered versions that are sold legally, you know, at least until law enforcement catches up with their technology and identifies the active substances and bans them. But of course, the manufacturers are not only continually altering them so that they can't be identified, but are using the slick marketing phrases and labels that we went over earlier to get away with selling them and voiding the law. Now, you know, I thought it would be interesting to also look at the history of each of the three most popular designer drugs as far as when and where they were originally produced and how they've evolved to where they are today. All right, let's do that. Okay, cool. So Spicer K2 first appeared in Europe in 2004 and the United States in 2008. However, the chemicals that were used to make this drug were originally created decades ago for experimental purposes. So let's start with CP47497. Okay. The CP stands for Charles Pfizer of Pfizer Pharmaceuticals, uh. who it was named after. <laughs> yeah. His parents must be so proud. I know. It was developed in the 1980s for scientific research purposes. HU210 was named after Hebrew, Hebrew University in Jerusalem, 
where it was developed in 1988. It was modeled after the mind-altering ingredient in marijuana, again, THC, and it's an incredible 100 to 800 times more potent than natural THC. Oh, great. I know. Then we come to JWH-018 plus others in the JWH series. And these were named after Professor John W. Huffman of Clemson University in South Carolina. And this was created back in 1995. So, you know, fortunately, the United States DEA caught on to these and banned them in 2012. But of course, underground chemists stayed ahead of the game, developing newer exper experimental drugs, including UR-144 and XLR-11, which were quickly identified and also banned in 2013. But by that time, another generation of drugs similar to those found in SPICE and K2 were developed, and this cycle just continues to repeat itself. Now, bath salts were actually originally synthesized in France way back in 1928 and 1929. Really? Yeah. Some of these were researched for potential medical use, but most of these drugs were proven to be unsuccessful because of se severe side effects, including dependency. Despite this, they were used and abused as antidepressants in the 1930s and 1940s in the former Soviet Union. They then be became popular in the United States in the 1990s and were also known as Cat and Jeff. In 2009, an, an analysis of ecstasy pills in the Netherlands found that over half of the pills contained drugs found in bath salts rather than the primary drug associated with ecstasy. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, in 2012, two of the primary drugs used in bath salts had been identified and banned in the United States. But just like Spice and K2, underground chemists created new variations with slightly different chemical formulas, openly promoting them as bath salts or repackaging them as glass cleaner or the various other names that I mentioned earlier. Now, N-bomb was discovered in 2003 by a German chemist who derived them from a subgroup of drugs called phenethylamines, or PEA for short. Uh, this subgroup of PEA drugs was originally produced in labs in the 1970s by scientists who used them to study brain activity on rats, producing hallucinations and mind-altering experiences similar to LSD. Nine of these drugs were banned in the United States in 2012, including the chemical used to make N-bomb. But, you know, just like the other designer drugs, secret laboratories still produce various versions of N-bomb or import them in bulk from China, India, and other countries. My, my, my. Not a profession that I'd ever want to have to fall back on if my current profession didn't work out. Amen. Yes, I'm working in the underground labs developing new designer drugs to evade law enforcement and get more people's lives destroyed. Doesn't look good on a resume. <laughs> no. All right. So how addictive are these drugs? We've talked about all the other ones and their level of addictiveness. How do these fall into that? Well, you know, all these drugs are addictive, uh, especially bath salts and K2 or spice. Uh, a 2013 study found that one of the primary substances used in bath salts called MDPV was possibly more addictive than even methamphetamine, which is one of the most addictive drugs there is. Right. And, you know, again, we'll cover methamphetamine, including crystal meth in our next podcast. 
Now, as far as K2 or spice is concerned, it's not only addictive, but its withdrawal symptoms are pretty awful. And they include cravings, nightmares, heavy sweating, nausea, tremors, headaches, extreme tiredness, insomnia, diarrhea, vomiting, problems thinking clearly, and neglect of other interests or duties. All right. So what would you say is the most concerning thing about the use of these drugs? Well, you know, because of the constantly growing number of chemicals that are developed, uh, designer drug users have absolutely no way of knowing what the drugs that they're taking actually contain. Plus, because of the alterations from the original drugs, even though they're very slight, the effects can be very different. And the fact is that you know, users cannot possibly predict the impact that these experimental substances will have on their body and mind. Not only can these, you know, be addictive as we just learned, but depending on what they contain, these poisonous substances can also definitely lead to overdoses and deaths. And again, you know, the fact that they can be marketed with false advertising claims using words like natural, legal, and safe is also very concerning because uninformed individuals that really think that they're using something that's safe and okay are really consuming toxic, unpredictable substances that could potentially be deadly. Mm-hmm. Very true. Now, is there anything else you'd like to say on this topic before we end? Well, I mean, I would just stay tuned and check out our next episode next time on this series uh, podcast on recreational drugs as we'll wrap it all up. You know, in addition to inhalants, methamphetamines, and ecstasy, I thought it would be interesting to cover a couple items that I've always been interested in learning more about that have popped up in recent years. And that is the drug Kratom that you see advertised at smoke shops and Tide Pods. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, yes, I know know Tide Pods are technically not a drug. But I thought it would be interesting to look at the problems they've created with people eating them, especially children, since they were introduced in 2012. Okay. Yeah, we've got those. And we've also got uh, mushrooms and peyote and PCP. And we've got a few other ones that we'll just be touching on most of. We won't be going into as much depth, but we will be going over them so that people are aware of them. So that's going to be next week's episode. And then the following week, we're going to go over a different category of drugs potentially affects a lot more people, which is anesthetics and what people need to be aware of and what questions to ask and what things to tell their doctors if they're going to be having any type of a surgery or any type of an anesthetic, especially ones that might cause unconsciousness or put them out. All right, Steve, thanks again for that. We'll be back again next week and continue on this. And then after those two episodes, we get into exercise again. We'll have your exercise guy out here and he'll be going over some important things with people because I'm sure by then everybody's going to be going, well, I started trying to lose the weight I put on over the holidays and it isn't going as well as I thought. So we want to give everybody a little boost at that point at the end of January. So we'll talk next week. Okie dokie. Thanks for joining us this week on the Body Chat Podcast. We both really appreciate your time and your attention. We want to provide you with interesting and informative episodes each week, and if you have a topic you'd like us to cover or any questions you'd like us to answer, send an email to us at info at bodychatpodcast.com. That's info at bodychatpodcast.com. 
To make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, subscribe to the Body Chat Podcast now on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. See you next week. Music